2: Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, everybody, we're the hosts of Two Weeks, One Shot, a tabletop RPG variety podcast. We play one-shot campaigns in a variety of systems. With a variety of guests from all around the TTRPG scene. And obviously, I bring a certain je ne sais quoi to every performance. I never trusted Jellyfish as one of my space racism. <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> Let's talk about how every time I run a game, you guys manage to find like the weirdest take you can possibly give on it. Have you accepted one of my bugs into your body so that we can communicate? Communicate telepathic. Now get your bug no bugs in my body. First sight of
0: trouble. Shoot it! Shoot it with the gun! <laughs> Find
2: us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search two weeks one shot. Are we ever gonna have a serious discussion about playing furry pirates? No, no, no. no. I I I it. The about it. So I'll take that as a yes. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So I know I have been really looking forward to this particular episode. Really, I've been looking forward to this episode since we did our episode on the first Dragonlance novel last year. And obviously, since we put out our own little Dragonlance a couple months ago, I've had this one circled on my calendar, so to speak, to go ahead and get together. But uh, yeah, before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of that, Mr. Miller and the Glenn Diggity, as he is naming himself this evening, how are you both? I forgot that was still
1: up there. Oh, Glen Diggity. I
2: think, I think it's perfectly fine. Mr. Diggity, how are things? Where is Mr. Diggity this evening? Are you still in Wisconsin?
1: Yes, we are still in Wisconsin, just south of Oshkosh, visiting I the guess. Chitlins, at least till Friday. This Friday morning, we roll out and we're headed back nice. in that direction.
2: Nice. So we'll
1: be coming back over to the East Coast, which is cool, because I'm going to go to a convention in Fall River that Lee Wanika has convinced me to attend next Excellent. month. Excellent. So that should be a good time. And I'm still working on the game that I'm going to run for that one. But yeah, hanging out here, having a good time. Started playing Magic again, actually. My son, my wife, and I went over to Adventure Games and Hobby, the store, the local store that I mentioned in one of our previous recordings here in Oshkosh that I went to visit. Really cool store. Because they have several Magic tournaments from Commander to a normal draft, and then they have a casual version of the normal draft, et cetera, et cetera. Short version, we decided we were going to go play on a Thursday for their casual draft, but there were barely enough people. And then suddenly we were like, Trish and I haven't really played Magic since the five years after the game first came out. I'm not really certain trying to sit down and deck building a draft is our best play right now. So instead we bought some starter decks, went home and started playing ourselves, but it's fun. I haven't played in forever, but I'm having a good time.
2: Awesome, That's cool. Some of my formative memories as a young man were sitting in Luminika's couch playing Magic. I don't know nothing about the, the game,
1: but I still think we should get some OG Magic cred for like we were playing when the game came out even if we even if it's changed so much we don't know anything anymore
2: totally exactly I wouldn't be able to play today but I do remember back in the mid 90s how much fun it was yeah I consistently tell people
0: the story about how I got started playing Magic and it was Glenn who convinced me to play the very first time because I was like nah I don't think so not my thing I'm not I'm gonna keep doing what I do and Glenn here's my red deck just play it'll be fun and this is back when you played for Auntie so one Glenn trusted me enough to go down to pat's basement at the place he had at the time and play with it was a ridiculous amount of people or whatever and i played anti with his cards and it was attack one spell two and you gotta you would draw a card based on the number of people you actually killed so it's like you didn't have to win overall you just had to take out a lot of people and a red deck made it pretty easy for me to do and then after a while glenn just keep the deck and that was the start of my magic which i played for ever like, yeah. I, still I got have into it just because
1: I, I spent so much time at the Citadel because that's where we we're always playing our mm-hmm. games. And we played with Scott who worked there. So he had keys and we could play our regular D games in the basement of our game store at 2, 3 in the morning. So I like lived there at the time. So when Magic first yep. came out, yeah, it was impossible not to get sucked into it.
0: Yep. All kinds of OG cred. And, but proud to say my kids still beat me at the
2: game. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Like I, yeah, yeah. I have taught them well Robert is still <laughs> at it He actually plays online And does a whole bunch of things He's trying to get himself ranked in tourneys nice. Quentin has ranked in tourneys L- Elijah had even ranked at one point They would We would just go to the Guilt Leaf here in Norwich And they'd play And they're strong players
2: Nice Excellent I, I was never a huge Magic player Except for Thlewanika So I don't really have much of an origin story again, But
0: that's, you know, Well, something. we made it fun We had a whole thing we did. Like it well, was Sure Yeah yeah. It didn't hurt that we were watching shows like Farscape, Millennium, sure. uh, was it the one, 13 Stone or whatever, that one, basically a bunch of good sci-fi shows that Fox planned on killing within a season yeah. on a Friday night, but we, right. yeah, we had some shenanigans.
2: Yeah, we did, we did. All right, speaking of shenanigans, let's get into our topic for this evening, because boy, are there are shenanigans faded? rife. yes. In- dragons yes. of Fate, yes. the second novel in the destinies trilogy by margaret weiss and tracy hickman standing invite to both of them to go ahead and appear on the show we will we make space to for
1: spell you your for name you. right this time
2: <laughs> exactly i'm never gonna live I, that down we, i will yeah, not
0: let josh make that mistake again
2: yeah, yeah, that's I'm never. Gonna so anybody that who done. doesn't
1: know this story, when the Dragonlance <laughs> novel, the first one came out, Josh, well, he shot a shot on Twitter about trying to get them to come on, but he misspelled Margaret Weiss's name, and she answered to say, "You should at least yeah. spell my name right." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. That, was, that, that was a bit hard on the soul. That was a bit hard a on bit. the oh. soul. <laughs> oh,
1: these are the stories that you know that we have to tell our grandkids about our early podcasting days.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, like someday 20 years from now when we're like the elder statesman of the TRPG podcast scene and we're invited to do a panel at Gen Con about podcasting and we'll say, what's the biggest mistake you ever made as a young podcaster? I'll be like, well, let me tell you about the time. It was <laughs> I just time. Margaret Weiss's name to her face. Yeah, it was on yeah. Twitter. It wasn't quite to her face, but that was, yeah. But, but Close anyway. enough. Exactly. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to get him for an interview. Dragons of Fate, the second book in the Destiny's trilogy. A book that is full of fan service, I think. There's some really awesome things that happen from a fan service point of view. And boy, the ending. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm going to put
0: this out here now and we'll get into it a little bit later, but I'm going to tell you, if you want a master class on how to subvert expectations. Yeah. Read this novel. Whatever Before- it takes. This book is PhD level. We're talking Rhodes scholar level on how to subvert expectations because i was guessing at multiple points okay this is going to go one way okay no it's going to go the other and before long i'm like i have no idea how they're even going to do this oh my god what's going to happen it is not often that reading a book i am on the edge of my seat they're not going to make it they're not going to make it they're not going to make it and my god they were
2: good and before we go dive too far in glenn i want you to go ahead and take your point this is not going to be a spoiler-free episode. So, correct this people is not out there listening, free. if you have not read Dragons of Fate, or, shame on you. First of all, shame on you if you haven't. Read there is Dragons no shame. There is no shame. Yeah. You get to what you can
1: when you can get to it. We don't yeah. cash shares. Yeah. But
2: if you haven't read Dragons of Fate and you don't, or you just don't want to know what happens, if spoilers bother you, we will invite you to pause here, read Dragons of Fate, or listen to Dragons of Fate. The audio book is phenomenal, and then come back, pick up right here, eight minutes in. You'd be fabulous.
1: Was it the same reader as last time? It yes. Was. Okay, cool. Because she was good yeah, last time. and that she was, was an fantastic last time. Exactly, system. yeah. This time I read it the old-fashioned yeah. way, so I didn't hear yeah. it. Ah,
2: interesting. Just to go ahead and throw credit out there, the narrator of Dragons of Fate, as was Dragons of Destiny, is Kirsten Potter, who's phenomenal.
1: So Great job bringing her name in, because, yeah, she did a really great job. Yeah. yeah. But now that you've gotten the spoiler thing out of the way, I'm going to say yeah. I got to... <sighs> Maybe it's because I've spent so much time working plots and I've taken several courses on writing, et cetera. I don't know. I don't know why, but while I enjoyed the book and I rode that edge with you, I got to say, I saw every plot point coming with the exception of, I didn't expect Magius to die. I thought Raistlin was going to succeed in that, but every other plot point I saw telegraphed, but not in a bad way. It was just, I'm like, okay, this is where this is going to go.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, I I saw Raceland's progression coming, like that one I certainly saw coming, and I certainly, unlike you, Lewinica, I did not think at any moment that they were close enough that they were going to make it. I thought from the entire time that, because otherwise, if they make it, there is no book three. Book three has to be about undoing the cluster that has emerged from book two. So yes. in my so they,
0: head, they screwed
1: the past, changed the present. And the next book will be about <laughs> fixing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. See, in my head I had in my, it, and this is my head canon. I have actually kind of stayed away from a lot of other commentary because I really wanted to read this book purely, but I, in my head, I had it, it that the goal was to reset Dragonlance at the end of this trilogy so it's fresh and new going forward. Didn't think they were ever going to restore it as is. So what I thought Mm. at the end of this book was they were going to fix this problem, their mere presence, whether it be by saving Magius or having certain things happen on different days, certain things being in slightly different places, they would have had a different present for the War of the Lance. And the third book would have been going back on the after the War of the Lance, where Lady Destina originally came in the last book and moved forward from there. So I thought this is how they reset the world in book two, and book three was now let's have a whole novel in the new world. Yeah. And that could still happen. I don't think yeah. they've closed the door on that, but I didn't expect – I did not expect certain things to happen, one, four Thirty billion Dragonlance novels. I always thought every time Tasselhoff Burfoot spoke about Uncle Trap Springer, he was bullcrap. <laughs> there was no basis for it. Yep. Nope. And then as that we doesn't get into lie this, though.
1: I've always what? known Tr- Uncle Trap Springer was something, but now yeah. he's got some validity.
0: The way the book just let things that have happened for years fall into place yeah. was. Perfection, chef's kiss, perfection. This is what I mean by setting in them subverting ex- expectations, right? As things are going, it's okay, we're going to show you how that thing that was a goofy thing that Tassie would say all the time actually has some basis in reality, right? And then all of a sudden we see it. All of the things that were in the song, I could see, okay, so they're actually succeeding in fixing the song, but everything's just slightly different than what thousands of years later actually happened. So days are slightly off. Different people were involved. That's what
1: like, you're going to get at the end of the next book.
0: I could see all of that, right? And I'm like, okay, so they're going to fix this. And that's what really got me to believe this was getting fixed. It's I saw every piece of the song fixed in a way that would jive with what we had for 20 years. So then in the penultimate chapters, when all of a sudden everything went Friggin' wrong and famously friggin' wrong i'm (laughs) like what the what but you just fixed it and now it's done and i'm like oh my god oh my god
1: (laughs) everything else in there right up until that final moment right before they jump back forward and i'm not sure whether or not we want to reveal that one but everything else could have still worked fact that Magius didn't live. Well, yep. just like in history, he may have been kidnapped earlier, but he tor- yep.
2: was tortured well, and died. I-, I think that's where things start to get screwy, is when Imulatus attacks a day early. Yes. And that's the thing that sets Racelin off, that's, wait a minute, nope, nope. Things are strange now, because, but he doesn't know that Imolatis knows about the Grey Gem. And Imolatis chasing the Grey Gem and setting himself up as basically a... He's a distraction. Like He's not even really attacking. He's just a distraction so that his right. agents can go ahead and steal the Grey Gem from Destina. That's what the Grey Gem does, right? The Grey Gem, because it's elements of chaos, it poisons what's supposed to happen. Right. It was at that point, once that happened... All bets were off because you're absolutely right. Sure. Raceland and Magius, which I think is some of the best parts of the book, by the way, having their conversations mm-hmm. where they're I talking agree. about and they're building this friendship, even though Raceland knows what Magius's fate is going to be. Even that conversation that they have about the fact that Raceland knows what Magius's fate is and that it's not good. You but know? I can't like, tell you. Exactly. Yeah. Like all those, that you're absolutely right. At any point, even when Tesselhoff meets with the gnomes and they've got the big howitzer ballista thing, even that doesn't necessarily warp the past. It is altering the path the past slightly, but it's not warping it. It's not warping it in the way that the Grey Gem did when Imolatos wants to go ahead and come and steal it. I think what the Grey Gem
0: really did was entice a few characters that never appeared in the deep history. And I'm speaking specifically of Tully. Like, when we were introduced mm. to him, like Chekhov's gun, I knew he was going to be something big, but yeah. I wasn't sure exactly how or in what way. He in- was the
1: Grey Gem's pawn from the moment yep. he overheard their conversations. Yep. He was the Grey Gem's instrument in this whole story.
0: Yeah. And very well telegraphed, very well positioned in the book. It was the right depth in the right amount of information was given to say, hey, pay attention to this guy, but don't pay too much attention to this guy. And then when we get to those penultimate chapters, it's all of a sudden he becomes the mover and the shaker. Right. And I was like, wow, that's really good. That's what I mean by a master class in how to subvert, subvert expectations. You right. knew anybody who's a deep reader absolutely had to know that he was definitely a character that was going to be important in some way. What we didn't know is what way. How he was going to do, like what he was going to do, which what was he going to lean dark or light? Once we realize he's definitely going to lean dark, was he going to be one of these characters who changed his mind? Because they gave him a few moments where he was like, I'm not like, look, I'm not in it for this. Yeah. He had a couple of moments where maybe he walks away and does the right thing. And because it was that fine line, no matter what happened, it would have all been supported not telegraphed necessarily, but supported. It's like everything that took place in the last seven chapters was firmly supported by everything that took place in all the yeah. chapters before. And yep. that's what I mean by a master class and how to subvert our expectations. They gave you two paths for nearly every single character of note in this book. With the exception of Takesis herself, everybody else could have gone one way or another throughout the course of this book. And they were completely supported. You saw the decision-making process. They talked about it. They, The characters verbalized it to each other or thought it to themselves. And that's just – that, to me, is what was amazing. I yeah. saw the wheels turning
2: in nearly every character who had lines in this book. Let's talk about some of the nitty-gritty, right? So we end the last book with, again, this disastrous situation that Tasselhoff has – yeah, I'll blame Tasselhoff for this. That Tasselhoff has created where all these characters wind up in the distant past at the Third Dragon War, and in the future they know that they can't pull them back because this because the magical MacGuffin, the the device of time journeying is broken. Dum-dum. What did you think of the interaction with the blacksmith Alice? I forget her last name, but blacksmith Alice, who is or the, the I guess she's a artificer.
1: That's what I thought Sorry, of 100 on was class, direct you – know? yeah. uh, Alice 100% was a direct introduction of the Artificer class to Dragonlance. Yeah. Yeah. That was my impression of that character.
2: Mine too. It's certainly because of all the mechanical stuff she has kicking around. I really liked that character. I thought her
0: interaction, her shade of indifference to some extraordinarily powerful magic users – was really strong, and I like the fact, at least thus far, she does not appear to be one of the gods in in an avatar form. Um, That could change, but I really thought they were going to speak to some other god that I just didn't recall from the huge pantheon that Dragonlance has. We met Reorch in the last book, and he did some things. So it is not... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I still remember the original Dragonlance novels. We traveled with one of the gods, they traveled with one of the gods for a whole Bucket of chapters, and I didn't think it was. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's one of the gods, or he's one of the people t- t- touched by the gods, or whatever the case may be. And I was like, oh, okay, Fizban beca- being revealed to be a himself. It is not unusual, actually. It's it would be fairly unusual for one of the gods to have not had a major piece in this book, sure. and that would, if she's revealed that in the next book, that would hold with that. I hope she's not, because I like the idea of. Maybe the gods are starting to let some of the people have some say or have some sway in a way that they really haven't before. Maybe they start letting uh, mortals handle this business. I think that would be very cool. But it could go either way, and I'd be fine with it either way. But I think me personally would love it even more if she never turned out to be one of the avatars of the gods.
2: Yeah, I think that would be fine. I I'd prefer she wasn't. Either way, I think I'd prefer that she wasn't. Also, it could go either way. I think it really depends on what because if the artificer is one of the gods, then the question always is, what is that particular god's motivation? Why is she there? Because with Rayarx, what we found is that when he cracked the Grey Gem before, he was under the influence of the Grey Gem in the first place. He was acting in this kind of chaotic way and ushering in the Grey Gem needed an avatar and Rayarx wasn't Strong enough to battle it back. He messed it up
0: in the first place. He messed he, it
2: up in the first place. So it
0: makes sense <laughs> for him to have been there. Sure. Maybe Alice is some errant child of Rayorcs along the way. So yeah. maybe she's a demigod, and I would be very happy with that. Even then, yeah. have that be a catalyst for bringing in artificers. Yeah.
2: Whether she's a god or not, we'd have to worry about her motivation. And I think that her motivation right now is viewed very purely, right? And that was where I wanted to go. was like her fixing the device of time journeying. I'm not sure that. One piece was super satisfactory to me. A little too it, pat. It little too pat. It was a little too mm. neat because they set it up as oh this like this super powerful thing that you need in the entirety of the first book, and then the entirety of basically book one here they say oh we are screwed. The device of time journey is broken, and mm. then all of a sudden like literally. Like in a chapter, someone says, oh, hey, has anybody talked to Alice? And say, no, right. we the haven't talked to Alice. The last descendant
1: of Ranniker, the guy we've been talking about for books, is the ultimate creator of the ancient <laughs> exactly. artifacts. Right. And we have yeah. no idea of knowing how many things he created or even seen yeah. any of his works, but we totally. never thought to go and check with his heir. Exactly who happens she to she have a book it. of Veronica's artifacts
2: <laughs> and then is able to go ahead and basically remake the entire the remake and improve the device of time journeying yeah. in, in, in a week and all she asks for is material cost and a visit to the high tower which eventually which initially they're not going to give her <laughs> no we when, when Dalamar's no we can't do that and it's Justineus that yes we can do that, that that's fine. <laughs> I
1: suspect that there's more mystery going on with Alice's character that we'll discover in yeah. the next book. If she retains memory, hopefully, as the others so far have. Uh, we don't even know where everyone is yet. Yeah. But honestly, a lot of that, in terms of what we've talked about, does foreshadow her being an avatar or uh, exactly. got touched in some
0: fashion. Yeah, that's yeah. where I'm thinking. Like, I would hope if they're going to have to go that route, may very well, May I would hope they went the, this is a, a descendant, basically an ASMR of, or some kind of scion of one of the gods versus an actual god themselves that would be more satisfying to me uh, they definitely telegraph some stuff with there I think there's definitely some story and some mystery there when these novels are done I can see other authors filling out her story or filling out stories where other folks go to visit her I can think of one of a trio of podcasters who had took down some significant notes and is considering how to fashion some kind of guild of crafters who would basically be artificers in the Dragonlance world based on what we've seen thus far.
2: Potentially, so. I can certainly see see a trio of podcasters doing something like that. Other ideas that, that we have, maybe have a history of writing for Dragonlance, perhaps this particular trio yep. of, uh, of podcasters. So we'll see it what happens next year. It is nothing if yeah. not a font <laughs> of
0: inspiration for us. <laughs> Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game and we're prepared to make your next role Legendary we've just started a partnership with fan World dice and they have over 300 product options to choose from gemstone metal new liquid core dice and so much more better yet listeners to the tabletop journeys podcast can get 10 percent off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code podcast one zero a portion of these purchases come back to us and this is a great way for you to help support the show
1: my absolute favorite part about the book yeah please Sturm Brightblade and I'm going to say that both as a positive and a little bit of a negative uh-huh uh, it's a huge positive for me because I loved Sturm from the beginning he was a great character his end was cut short valiantly and heroically but oh my god was I heartbroken that all he ever did was slit the dragon's nostril and he died he should have at least beheaded that thing or something come on yeah But and then he was he's out of the story he's yeah. remained an important and an integral character But to have him up living and breathing and talking and walking and being part of the book again, I love. And I really enjoyed how much Huma not only first disenchanted him, but once he got past the disenchantment of, okay, he's not as stodgy as me. This guy's like a normal person. But he could see how much the core of the honor was underneath it and then how they became friends that was one of my favorite parts of the entire book, is reading through that. Though I did very much enjoy Raceland and Magius' yeah. friendship as well. But I'm going to couple this with my one wine that I believe I expressed last time, and I may have to express a third time in our next podcast episode, <laughs> the third book, and I'll keep it brief. That even though I love having two long dead but major. Players in the Dragonlance universe, Raistlin being the more popular, which is why he's getting more screen time because he gets a lot more act, he gets a lot more lines in script in the book than poor Sturm does. Sturm and Huma's plotline happens over here on the side a lot. Yep. I wish that was a little bit more, but all of this kind of still tweaks the fact that what I really wanted, and I know what they're doing—they're resetting Dragonlance to work with the new Dragonlance setting that's taking place during the War of the Lance. They're resetting history to work with the current thing, and Star Trek did it too, and I liked it with Star Trek. But man, when mm. I heard that uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman were writing again, what I really wanted was a new chapter in Dragonlance, not a rewrite mm. of the old chapters. That's so my one gripe.
0: I hear that, and I think what we're going to get is this trilogy. Now, whether they continue to write beyond this, and I truly hope they do. I think that they needed to do this to reclaim the territory from the 14 trillion other authors. I have, I can't speak knowledgeably about much of what went on before this trilogy because I largely didn't read a lot of it. I really didn't. I won't cast disparagement other than I read several novels that were not Hickman and Weiss, and it didn't feel Dragonlance enough for me to continue. This feels more than dragon enough this even feels more Dragonlance than some of the novels that hickman and weiss have also written and that's not that those are bad these are just that good
1: Agreed. So to bring so, in a whole new generation of fans as yeah, it's the, the world is being reborn i totally get the move
0: i totally yeah get it. so i think while i also wanted to go forward just like i want star trek to keep going forward in time and stop doing Back in the past, though, Mm -hmm. when you play games, I like to fill in the gaps between shows. I want the shows to move forward. So I absolutely agree and feel what you're saying there. But I will split the difference with you. My favorite part of the book was the juxtaposition in the scenes between Magius and Huma, their friendship, and Mm -hmm. Raceland and Sturm's antagonism, and how they both at points realized – that started blending
1: slightly towards friendship yeah. during this book.
0: I think it was always there, but like you say, Sturm got cut short. We never got to see that come to fruition, and <laughs> Raiceland right. took that dark path. Who knows what uh, could have happened if Sturm hadn't passed? If Stern is the hadn't first... been killed, this is the first time that we've really seen the two of them tight together in an adventure setting, which we can only suspect happened all the time prior to the six-year gap they probably had several side quests and adventures there's an unspoken knowledge very much like when the three of us get together there are things that we say and don't say because we just don't have to we've got (laughs) history and i love the way that comes through in the book we saw those lessons being learned or we read those lessons being learned in the book it was a really great character development that i don't think they've had the opportunity to have before this scenario. Now that to so, me is what really made this book. Well,
1: one of the other things raceland has got going for him this time, is this is the first time we've gotten an incarnation of Raceland where he can be truly himself again, since his test, because since he had fully died and now come back, he's free of the whispering voice of his patron, because he's apparently part warlock too, that he had wound up making a deal with during his test. Yeah. And he'd always had that dark voice in his head. That's part of what drove him down the paths of darkness that he went to before. If this version of Raceland gets to continue to grow and develop as a character, he could take completely different turns than he did previously. And if he does get to continue, I hope that he does because
2: he should. Yeah,
1: he was never. He he didn't start out as a bad person. It just lots of things took him in that direction.
2: I really thought that the scenes, the dominant scenes between Magius and Raceland. Did to humanize Raceland a little bit, right? To really give him connection to someone in a way that he has never had a connection to anybody else, and finally he can, and they even say, yeah, as, he's, they say as much in the book or, to anybody about what is going on with me in this yeah. way. I don't think that Magius was so much of a of a mentor or like a, an idol to him or anything like that, but he was obviously aware of Magius, carried the staff of Magius, so he understood and I think on some level too, like at the very beginning, he's, oh, now that I'm here, I can see how Magius's friggin staff works, because I never figured out how it all works. Like, I knew that there were spells right. in that staff that I didn't know about, and it was through the process of watching Magius and understanding Magius and talking to Magius that he, that Raceland again, like you said, he starts to feel a little bit more like himself. And I think the other thing that kind of lets him is that until the very end, Raceland really doesn't have any access to his magic. So all he can be is himself. He can't be. And I wonder if maybe that's why, I mean, he has like some access to magic, but not in the way that he used to. And I wonder if maybe he's back
1: to, he's back to that, Second level character that's got three spell slots that was in the end of the last home because that's the body he's in, even if his mind is advanced. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think that maybe that's why his, maybe that's why the influence of his patron wasn't there, is because he is not, he didn't, that didn't come with him. All that magical prowess didn't come with him. So he's still trying to, so the only thing he can be is himself. He can't, there's nothing else for him to rely on. He can't, he can't be anybody else. He has to just be himself.
0: A great way to show some pathos and show the struggle and the frustration he felt with that is, even though he came back, he still had recollection of the fact that he had power. So he knew he could cast certain spells. He right? just couldn't remember what they were.
1: Yeah, he uh, remembers I, really the
0: phenomenal cosmic uh, power. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's got in living space. I, yeah,
1: exactly. I
0: <laughs> truly liken that to like my own experience before concussion number eight, when I used to have an eidetic memory, I could visualize things I read. If I read a book four years ago, I could remember. And you asked me, what was the third word on the 52nd page? I could tell you what that word was. That's how my mind worked until I had concussion number eight. And it was visual. I would literally see the picture in my mind and then I could reread the picture just by closing my eyes. I could see what was there on the page before. And after concussion number eight, what I recall in that situation is I can see the page but everything is shrouded and I can't read the words anymore. And the level of frustration, knowing that you know something that you cannot under any circumstance recalls, man, that just makes you mean. And <laughs> I think it's, that's my personal experience. And I thought well, that's I was why you're really, so mean pretty much. There's actually
2: I, been a lot about him
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> when people ask me questions, it's like, and I'm like, Give me a moment because I have to try to force myself to remember. But what I really liked about that is the fact that Magius was his friend, co-worker, counterpart, not mentor, not leader kind of thing. And they had that were on the same, even though they were not on the same level. That Solid romance. Helped, that helped Raceland deal with those frustrations a, in a way that allowed him to just be okay and really settle into I can't do all that anymore, but here's what I can do. And then yeah. he would bring up the spell that he could do. Right. And I thought that was really well t- done. I connected with that very strongly.
2: And I think that with the relationship between Raceland and Magius and the relationship that we see between Sturm and Huma, we see the same thread. And it's that concept of hero worship, but not actually knowing who the person was. Okay. Huma was elevated to such a level throughout everything in Dragonlance to actually see him now as a very human, very somewhat flawed person. And funny. He yeah. was
0: very humorous. Like, yeah. I love the jokes that him and Magius would play off of each other. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. they, they were great.
2: Yeah. But I think that was a really interesting thread to go ahead and weave too. Is that, wait, no, you're going to actually see who these people are. And you're going to get to know who they are as people, not as myths, not as legends, not as, not as Huma Dragon's Bane, the one that, that wields the dragon lances on the back of the silver dragon. You see him as a sensitive, person who who finds his person, finds his unicorn, and is, you are my person, and whatever I need to do to defend you, I will. And have his person be so petrified about her secret that You know, now even though we in the future know how that situation turns out, we're living in that little tiny moment where they are flawed and frail human beings. Not that she's a human, but that's but but like the analogy still kind of holds up. It's like they are just they are flawed and they are scared of what they have together, and they are they are worried about its fragility. They are worried about it falling apart on them, and it's really beautiful. I I loved those little tiny moments.
1: The romance between Gwyneth and. huma Huma and then him being able to accept her as she truly is despite her fear that really was a great story and it was wonderful honestly i never gave a whole lot of thought to gwyneth before but it was awesome to have huma and just personified and brought to life so i totally agree
0: we did have the legend of huma that that book but i don't recall and i will be honest i read that about a week after it first released and I have not reread that since. So I don't recall a lot about the book other than I read the book and I read the information. So I know the knowledge, but I don't recall being moved by Huma's story back then. What I recall was here's a good treatment of how this guy's this hero that we talk about in the three main books. That's what I recall about the legend of Huma. They explained where he came from, what he did, Blah. It did not move me in any meaningful way. It yeah. just was. It was a good addition. It was better than other books I've read, but it did not move me. Yeah. This story moved me. And yeah. Huma within this story, Huma with Gwyneth, and Gwyneth with Huma moved me. And it it is not lost on me that when we play characters at the game table, that this is these are the kind of moments that I shoot for. It is, yes, we want the big battle. We want to go out there and fight Tully or fight Imoladas and all that. But what I really shoot for is the sacrifice moment, the play to save the day. I shoot for those moments. What the heck are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, I'm a a kender with a bunch of gnomes rolling over the hill with something that we have no idea how to control. (laughs) I live for those moments at the table.
2: I love the gnomes so much. They
1: were almost a little much for me. That was one of the most telegraphed things ever i'm like okay tass is going to disappear now until a climactic moment later where he and the gnomes are going to come rolling in and save the day yeah Yeah. but it was fun it was fun it was just a lot it was a little Uh, much
2: they were so fun like with all the comedians all right how do we stop this thing stop this thing (laughs) those plans never came back from committee (laughs) it was like like so brilliant so
0: much fun we went to the gnomes we won't build a a break on
2: the big red toilet yeah Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So I wanted to ask about what your thoughts were on the departure from dragons of deceit which was very much destina's story dragons of deceit was all about destina and we really thought that she was going to be this key figure throughout the trilogy and there's some speculation that maybe she'll come back and we'll figure out what her you know what her destiny is in the third book but she's pretty much absent from the entirety of this book except for a couple of snippets where she comes in like the big reunion with cairn about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the book, is really the only meat and potatoes moment that Destina has in this entire thing. And I think that is a very interesting stylistic choice. I think that's where I was getting to when I was talking earlier about how much fan service there is in this book. This book gave us as fans a lot of things that we wanted to see. But cutting Destina out as the main character was an interesting stylistic choice, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
0: I look at it this way, and I and I will never know unless we are successful in correcting Josh's error and getting Tracy Hickman <laughs> or Margaret Weiss on our show to ask. But I know for a fact Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings as one book, and, he, and basically his son told him, don't do that. Split this into three, and then he had to do a little reworking to make it fit neatly into three novels. So it was one story, which – if you look at it as one story, it's why what the elements that I found very slow and, man, there's not a lot going on in Fellowship for me as a reader, that's because it wasn't a story. It was the opening for the bigger story. And when I look at The Lord of the Rings as one book, it's amazing. When I look at it as three separate books, I struggle with the Fellowship. And I really like the next
2: two books. And Wait, in this you case, like The Two Towers better than The Fellowship of the Ring? Absolutely, I did. I don't even know how to talk to you right now. Go ahead. Carry on. Yeah. So
0: what I always wonder is when, when authors write trilogies, are they literally writing a full story and then choosing where to split it? Or did they literally write each book individually? unless i'm talking to that author i may not actually know that question because it's not a question that i've ever heard book reviewers ever ask but to me that answers some of those questions because i could see having a character be very big in the opening not and then you build in other characters in the middle and then things kind of work themselves out in the end and if that's one whole story that makes a lot more sense than Man, she was only the big character in the first book. She's not a big character in the second book. Who knows what's going to happen in the third? But to me, how that story was constructed will probably inform how much sense that decision makes to me. So I don't have an opinion one way or the other because I don't think I have enough info to really make that decision. But – as long as your characters are Sturm and Raceland, two of my Raceland being one of my favorites, Sturm now one of my favorites, I can tell you I'm okay with that because it was just great as it was. This was more about positioning where and what things might become or might happen, and then how to do that. This is more. We're not going to let you screw this up anymore, young lady. We're going to do this ourselves and. I don't think Rachel and Storm gave her much second guess other than we'll keep her alive, but we're not going to let her mess this up anymore. <laughs> mm.
2: uh, if I, Before you go, Glenn, just one quick thing. I do believe that all three books were written ahead of time because I think I remembered Miss Weiss posting a picture on Twitter about the binder that was seven inches thick with all yep. three novels in it before yep. the first one came out, I think. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but I think I remember that.
1: Sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't is the answer. Depends on the author, the project. Yeah. Sometimes they're all finished, and sometimes they're all not. So for me, this very much speaks to my one gripe that I mentioned earlier about the next chapter. Because, yeah, it was very noticeable that Destina was, despite being present, very absent from this story. And that's not the kind of woman that Destina is. That's directly opposite of her character, That they spent the entire first book establishing that she's not a woman that will stand on the sidelines. She's not a woman that will just wait in the chapel for you to come back. That's not who Destina is. Now, mind you, right now during this book, she's going through a big hesitant phase of, holy crap, I possibly just screwed everything. So she's got some trepidation about making the wrong choice. But the result is that she takes not just a back seat, but almost a wallflower position in the book. And she and the monk who winds up coming back into it partway through, but he still has a very small role. Brother Karen is the only other new character that they've introduced us to. And both of the people that were new were completely Mm sidelined, giving us, and I loved it because I love Sturm and I love Raceland, but giving us the same heroes respawn it makes me wonder what Destina's role is going to be moving forward i suspect she's going to come back in because she is the one that's bonded to the gray gem and the gray gem's power is certainly going to be required to undo what's been done to (laughs) make that big a change or undo whatever they can but sidelining the new people in favor of the old very much spoke to the to me about the fact uh, spoke to my ache over the fact that i wanted new stories as opposed to a retelling of the old stories. Because as Leo Wanika pointed out before, we had the legend of Huma. We've had the entire thing put out in book form before. So it's a retelling of his story because it changes, folks. It changes. And a retelling of Race Lennon's term story. And I really want to see where they go, and I'm really in. I'm in. I'm not saying I'm not. Yeah. But that's a disappointment for me that the new characters are being sidelined.
0: Well, and yeah. I really want to see Salomnia post War of the Lands. I really want to go back to whether Deceda's father survives, whether her mother goes away or not, whether she has Rose Thorn Manor or not. I want to see Polanthus and I want to see Salamia I want to see the High Claris Tower post War of the Lance when this all works out because I'm assuming things will be fixed in some degree but I want to see that world because I really loved those early elements of the last book where we saw her staff we saw her interact with her guard and her people and the things that her mother did and it gave and the me the dragon so she was flying around on Yeah
2: The copper dragon or the bronze dragon that yeah. flew her to the dwarves like. it was yeah, I think it was a like, copper dragon that flew her to the dwarves. Like all of that is, and granted, it's all gone because now she's a thousand years in the past, and I get all that. Yeah. But it was because as a gamer,
0: that's the world I want to play in. I don't, I, that's the one thing I never liked about gaming in Dragonlance is I personally never wanted to run a game during the War of the Lance. We know the heroes. We know how they're done. I can run a mission or a couple of adventures or a series of adventures where I've got people who are doing some things or fighting a battle, or, and that's all well and good. But when I run at my table and I want my players to advance to epic levels, I don't think that happens within the War of the Lance because we already have the epic level hero. I want the world to be expanded after all those guys do their thing, all those people do their thing so that now my players can take over this world moving forward. talking exactly
1: what I'm talking. I want that next chapter.
0: That's the piece that I want to play in. Before there's a new novel series in it, I want that. Uh, I always said Babylon 5 is a great world, but what I really wanted to do is play in the in the scenes between season three and season four or the stuff that's post five, never wanted to play through the events that took place in the show. Similarly with star Trek, I, the game that we're running is after one show away from another show, but, but after most of the shows take place before Picard filling in those gaps, that's where the game is. So I love the novel, but I want to get us back to the point where we know where we can game again. And I think that's what I'm hoping we get to in the third book.
2: Interesting. Interesting. All right. I think we have time. Let's go around, I think, for last thoughts. And for last thoughts, I want prediction on what you think. One major, one major thing that's going to happen in book three, knowing where book two wind up. And I think, and kudos to us, we have not spoiled how book two ends. We're, we have been very good about that.
1: We came close and I but, stopped we came and close a couple times.
2: And we've really revealed some of it, but not all of it. <laughs> one one prediction about where we think book three is going to go. Glenn, I'll give you the first shot.
1: So I don't have a whole lot of specific predictions. Here's a we're hitting the next level spoiler here without telling you what actually <laughs> happens, but they're back in a world where there are draconians again in the time of the War of the Lance, but everything is different. Kit's alive. Racelin and Caramon work for her. It's an interesting it's an interesting picture they paint in that final chapter. And it's really hard to see where it's gonna go. I have with as much fun as they've had bringing Sturm and Raceland back, I have a theory that a number of the companions will wind up rejoining this quest to fix things possibly. But at the same time, they can't tell them.
2: Mm. Even the throwaway – where they mentioned at the very end there that Goldmoon and Riverwind were there. like in the, yeah, eight, the Draconians are looking for the Blue Crystal, the blue exactly.
1: crystal staff. Yeah. So Riverwind and Goldmoon yeah. are River definitely okay. going to be yeah. integral to what's coming in the next book. They've so got to
2: be, right? Yeah.
1: So it's kind of, what are the gods? And Riverwind and (laughs) Goldmoon represents the gods coming back to Kren. So if in this evil world where Tachesis has been queen since history was altered, if Mishakal is still reaching (laughs) through the blue staff, where are we going coming forward? That could be the other gods stepping in to try to help guide them on Uh how to fix it. But in the end, my prediction is odd. My prediction is that they're going to end it with the history altered enough to restore some of that player agency that Leo and Ica was talking about being able to be have the big moments in the War of the Lance, because that's where the setting that 5e has released is centered on, is during the War of the Lance. But think- at the same time... They got to bring us back and give us the final word on what happens to Destina, so they have to take us past that. So it ends with a mystery. How will they resolve what I think they want to do, which is leave the story in the at the end the War of the Lance for D campaign wise, right? Yeah. And still bring the story full close because they can't ignore Destina's story and coming back to her time, knowing what's going on there. Yeah. So that's the mystery in it. It's
2: so it has reset. to do with what they're going to do with Destina. I think I know what they're going to do, but we'll figure. I'll oh, love it. reveal that love in a second. So. What about you, Leonica? What do you think?
0: I'm up in the air. They subverted my expectations. So whatever I was thinking this was going to be changed when I read the final chapter of this book. I am still at a loss for what it's going to be. If I put on my helm of prognostication, I would say I can't speak to specific events or things that will take place, but I can speak to some emotional qualities. Josh, you, uh, you spoke briefly about when we spoke earlier about when we wrote the adventure and we developed the ideas behind the, the adventure that we wrote with, for Splinterverse Media and the Dragonlance Companion that – you were really impressed after reading this book that the themes I brought in about how families disowned the magic users mm-hmm. in their lives, which was a major theme of our adventure or the theme of our adventure. And then to have that be such a prominent part of Magius' story and why he clung so so well to Huma, his only friend, when everybody around him effectively cast him out. Despite the fact he was going to be a magic user, despite the fact that Knights didn't care for magic users, his friends stood by him. I think my predictions are going to be along those lines. I think regardless of the events, regardless of who survives, who doesn't survive, what I think comes out of this is a world in which we have a really good showing of the powers that will exist, where those are. It will set up future conflicts. It will clear out some of the previous gods that may not have been particularly popular or had a lot of sway. It will leave the gods that we expect in play. I think we'll hear more about the god of Destina's mother, the fact that they did bring up several times the ring that she Chislev. still wears. Tizlev. She still wears that ring. I think we're going to hear a lot more about Meshackal. I think we might even get a revisit to Imolatus because Raclin dealt with him. I think we might have some interesting changes and relationship discussions between Dalimar and Raceland But I have a sense... If I can think of anything, I think Raceland's history changes with this. I think he doesn't take the black robes. I think a lot of that gets altered. And I think he stays red the whole mm-hmm. time. That's a and solid I, prediction. And That's I solid, think yeah.
1: – And I would – Not his choice, the choice of the person fr- – the Raceland from the current timeline. Yep. But the Raceland mind didn't choose yep. them. You're right. Yep.
0: But I have a sense that – I'm 50-50 whether Sturm survives this as I I hope he doesn't because I think his sacrifice is so meaningful, but every time they have a scene where they have Tasselhoff getting so deeply saddened by the fact that Sturm left and the heartbreak that Tass felt, I feel that all of me wants that to not happen. I, all of me wants to rejoice that Sturm survives, but as a writer and as a reader, I know that sacrifice is likely to have to happen, but that's the beauty of this book is the fact that it gives me those kinds of emotions.
1: As a guy who just helped put the finishing touches on a subclass called Oath of the Bright Blades, I hope he lives.
2: Yep. So here is where my my, my prediction is way shorter than the both of yours, because I've been thinking about Destina. I've been thinking about the position that Destina is in now, where in the past, basically lost all of her trappings of the future and... And then I'm combining that with her relationship with Cairn and what Cairn's specialties are. His specialty is in the Third Dragon War and all that. That he is a scholar of this war. And I've been thinking about that. What's going to happen with the two of them? Because they're going to wind up together. We, I think, we know that. When and where are they going to wind up together? And then combining it with a line that Alice Ranneker, when she gave the device of time journeying to Justinius and to Dalmar, said you got to make sure that everybody who's back there in the past comes with you because you never want to split the party, which is also a fantastically humorous joke from Weiss and Hickman to, to talk about how you don't split the yes. party. But Alice, when she says it, says it in such a way that says you never split the party unless you have to, unless there's a reason why you have to. I, right. think, I think I see
1: where you're going and I like it. But I'll I leave. think
2: the only way to prevent chaos in the, fu- in, in the future present is is to keep it in the past, and Destina and Cairn stay in the time of the Third Dragon War. They don't come back.
1: You might be right. And then we never know what happens later in the future. Exactly. And he's already set up to be a scholar of that era and know about it, kind of like the guy in Timeline, who was the anachronistic person who knew the the history of swords, who stayed behind
2: Yeah, while Paul
1: Walker came back.
2: Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So Um, that's my prediction. That's a great prediction. I don't think they'll come back. I like that. I I, I also think that's, I also think that's the only way that Destina will ever actually be happy. I think if she comes back to the present, she is going to continue to chase the things that she lost in book one. And she will never truly be happy because she will never be able to get those things back. There's no, that's the lesson here, right? Is that you can't go back to the past and undo the things that led you to your present. So the only in love way that with destino- Karn
1: can help be the catalyst for her to learn the lesson. Exactly, yeah, exactly so.
2: All right, gentlemen, let us call it there. Let's see. So next week on the show, and in in very short order here, we're going to be recording a fantastic interview, I'm sure, with Jim Johnson from Modifius. He's going to be coming on to talk about Star Trek Adventures and specifically talking about the new Lower Decks book, which is fantastic. We're really excited to go ahead and have Jim on. We've been been trying to go ahead and work this one out for a while now. I'm really glad that it's coming to fruition. That's our That'll be our episode next week. We'll have that out on the channel on Friday. Otherwise, we hope that you enjoyed our little review here of Dragons of Fate. If you have thoughts on any of our predictions or if you have any other thoughts on the book itself, please, obviously, we want to hear from you. Plenty of ways to interact with us. Catch us on Twitter. Catch us on on Instagram. Catch us on Blue Sky. Catch us on a bunch of different things. In addition
0: to that, if you have your own predictions, join us on Facebook. Join us on all those those sites and platforms. Tell us your predictions. I'd love to just toss those around and have conversations about what we think is going to happen in the upcoming book. And I think that would be amazing to hear from those of you listening to the episode. All right.
2: Thank you all for listening. Appreciate your time as always. And we'll be back to you next week with an interview with Jim Johnson. So until then, we'll talk to you then. Have a good night. Good night all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been tabletop journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can
1: also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys.
0: Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awake.